Hi there, and a very warm welcome to Season 3, Episode 33 of People Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here. Well, first of all, I would never use the term creative hopelessness because it's just so, you know, confusing to people. You think that you might want to get people to feel hopeless, and it's not the, the person that's hopeless, it's a strategy. So I would say, well, this is literally, this is what I say when I work with this, is basically, if it's not working, stop and do something else. That is the message underlying it. Of course, this is a process that can be explained on all levels of complexity. But what I'm doing as I work with creative hopelessness is I'm teaching you to see, to to notice whether what you are doing is actually working for you. And not in the terms of working in the short run, but more like working in terms of the life that you want to live and the person you want to be. P-Supers, thanks for tuning in. This week, it's part two of my chat with my friend, the psychologist and badass, Ricky Kjellgaard. You've just heard Ricky talking about creative hopelessness. We cover loads more in our chat. Ricky shares how she presents the topic in a way that is both captivating and vulnerable, which I found enormously powerful. This episode is a great insight into Ricky's workshop at the ACBS UK and Republic of Ireland conference on the 17th of November. You can find out more and sign up at acbsukroi.co.uk and you'll find that link in the show notes for this episode. PeopleSoup is a community of people who are interested in behavioural science at work and how we can make it accessible, fun and useful for ourselves and each other. At work, behavioural science has the capacity to enhance our well-being, help us be the person we want to be more often, and provide us with perspectives to enable cooperation, collaboration and innovation. It was psychologist Abraham Maslow who said, A first-rate soup is more creative than a second-rate painting. And that was the inspiration for this podcast. More than ever, the world of work is a heady mix of people, behaviour, events and challenges. When the blend is right, it can be first-rate. Behavioural science and psychology has a lot to offer in terms of recipes, ingredients, seasoning, spices and utensils. So welcome to People's Soup, where we aim to nourish the mind and flourish at work. Reviews are in for our last episode, which was part one of my conversation with Ricky. And we had tremendous feedback, so thank you to everyone who listened, shared and reviewed it. Dr Becky Quick said, Oh, wow! I jumped straight over and listened, and it's so fabulous, feeling the need to meet Ricky and her son. Hashtag badass women rock. And Dr. Richard Coates said, a fantastic podcast episode with Ricky and Ross. This really revived me this evening. Thank you. I have We Will Rock You going round in my head now. And once again, thanks to all of our listeners. So pleased you enjoyed the episode. In other news... Have you heard about our training programme, Flexibility at Work? It's on the way now, over four modules. In fact, we're halfway through, and we're getting great feedback. We're bringing ACT and contextual behavioural science to the workplace for individuals, for teams, and for leaders. This is a joint project with P-Super and Guru of Organisational Flexibility, Dr Annie Gascoigne. Doesn't everyone deserve some evidence-based behavioural science in their lives? We firmly believe that the workplace is an ideal arena to deliver these skills for life, and we're really proud of the programme we've developed. 
It's produced in collaboration with Contextual Consulting, and there's still time to sign up and join me and our Annie, hashtag Magaza, for Module 3, where we look at developing flexibility in teams and organisations, and Module 4, where we'll focus on developing flexibility in leaders. To find out more, you'll find the link in the show notes or go to contextualconsulting.co.uk. If you do enjoy the podcast, I'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and review it, whatever platform you're on. It helps us amplify our voice and reach more people with stuff that could be useful. And stop press, we are now on Amazon Music as well. As well as ratings and reviews, I've also set up a Ko-Fi page for the podcast. I love this podcast, it really chimes with my values and I do it all in my spare time. If you would be willing to support me in my endeavours, you can head over to ko-fi.com slash peoplesoup and buy me a coffee. Well, actually, it's more of a pledge of £3 to support the podcast. And on that note, I'd like to express my gratitude to Dr. Richard Coates for his Ko-Fi support. Very much appreciated. For now, get a brew on and have a listen to part two of my conversation with Ricky Kielgaard. Ricky, one of the many reasons I invited you on People's Soup is to talk about the workshop at the upcoming ACBS UK and Republic of Ireland conference in November in Manchester. Yes. You're running a pre-conference workshop called Creative Hopelessness. Yes, I am. I'd like to find out a bit more about that. So if we weren't already convinced that we wanted to spend time with you, <laughs> we could just hear a bit about what you're going to cover. Well, first of all, we're going to play We Will Rock You. <laughs> so creative hopelessness is a process within ACT that I've just totally fallen in love with this for you know, a variety of reasons. First of all, this is where we talk with our clients about uh, control as a problem. And on a more like technical level, this is also where we have like the functional analysis of the behavioral aspects of that so because i'm a, a little bit of a geek sometimes so i do love that this is where we're bringing the functional analysis to this piece and creative hopelessness is so difficult for many of us so th th that's why we're doing the workshop first of all to allow ourselves to ask all these difficult questions and and feel insecure about it and then we're going to practice and practice what is it and how can this look because there are so many ways to do it so basically, it's a day of doing functional analysis of your client's behavior and on your own behavior. So creative hopelessness doesn't just focus on the client, it focuses on us as well. So basically, mm -hmm. we're, the questions we're asking is what is important here and, and you know, what gets in the way? And when this stuff gets in the way what do we then do and how does that seem to work for us that is a is a very simplified but it's pretty much what we will be doing like keep going back to the the workability of our actions and the thing is it's so hard because as a therapist you want to solve a problem right as your client gets in and say, you know, oh, fix me, help me, you want to solve it. It's hard not to. So in the creative hopelessness process, this is where we, we step out of the fixing. <laughs> this can be very hard on both the client and the therapist to sit in that space where we're not trying to get rid of something that is hard. 
So I don't know if I even answered your question. It's like you put a coin in me and I'll just talk. <laughs> you answered it beautifully. And what I get a sense of from your workshop, it'll be space for reflection and rehearsal. Space for reflection and rehearsal. And you will be allowed, and you are allowed to do this every day, to practice something that is difficult and to step outside of your comfort zone. My workshops are always highly experiential. There's very, very little theory. I don't think I'm the most skilled person to do that. And I think you can go to some of the books to get that. So the workshops are highly experiential and we will practice it. First we get, you know, the process and then we'll, you know, turn up the difficulty so that you keep doing this even in the midst of like very difficult emotions, either for the client or for you. Because that's when it's difficult. Mm. It's difficult not to fix something uh, when it's uncomfortable. Isn't that the yes. truth? Yeah. As a coach, sometimes when you're sitting with a client and you think, yes, we kind of just want to say, yes, oh, but that's not the answer. And it's so hard to sit on your hands, right? Absolutely. As you say, it's so hard to sit on your hands. Yeah. And you know that the magic happens yes. then. If you were describing creative hopelessness to someone who'd never come across act or or the term creative hopelessness, how would you start? Well, first of all, I would never use the term creative hopelessness because it's so, just so you know confusing to people. You think that you, you might want to get people to feel hopeless and it's not the, the person that's hopeless, it's a strategy. So I would say, well, this is literally, this is what I say I, when I work with this, is basically, if it's not working, stop and do something else. That is the message underlying it. Of course, this is a process that can be explained on all levels of complexity. But what I'm doing as I work with creative hopelessness is I'm teaching you to see, to, to notice whether what you are doing is actually working for you. And not in the terms of working in the short run, but more like working in terms of the life that you want to live and the person you want to be. So forget about the, the word, or the, <laughs> the, forget about the, the label creative hopelessness. It's mm. basically about noticing in every moment, my behaviors, are they first of all flexible and are they working? Like, is it bringing me towards the life I want to live? Am I being the person I want to be? So in the process of creative hopelessness, that's what we're doing. And also looking at the costs, like what has it cost me to keep doing this? So I guess like in the workplace, we'd see people, uh, including myself, like we get stressed and then we run faster or we uh, skip breaks or we become grumpy and yell at people or stuff, stuff like that, that we do that is so natural. Like it's just, of course people do that. Of course we do that. There's not, it's not like, well, because we are people, but this is what we do. Mm. And sometimes it's just not working for us. And, you know, most of the time those behaviors are not working very well. So that is basically what I'm teaching you to track your behavior and their workability. I love it. And I, I love the way you describe it. And also for people yes. at work, if you get stressed, you start skipping lunch and maybe getting grumpy. And I love that linking between What's going on between our ears and how we might show up in exactly. the real world? If we can start to notice that and think, 
because quite often we're just doing that on autopilot. It's become a exactly, kind of habit. Exactly. Like we're all so good at trying to take away uncomfortability and suffering. So it's like it just happens automatically. Yeah. And what else I think is really powerful about it, what you're saying is the short term and the yes. long term. That's such a powerful thing that to share that with people is quite a privilege, I find, that sometimes being snappy or skipping lunch in the short term can feel great. Yeah, hey, I'm nailing this. I'm the wolf of exactly. Wall Street, whatever, whatever. But in the longer term, is that really who yes. you want to be? And I think there is a massive like normalizing and validating piece in this. Some, one of the things I hear myself say a lot out in, you know, when I work, we're quite shameful when we talk about the stuff that we do that is kind of short term and not, you know, not too charming and not working that well. We're so shameful about it. And my response will be, of course you do this. Like it makes perfect sense that you're skipping your lunch. It makes perfect sense that you're being grumpy and it makes perfect sense that you're, you know, having a bottle of vodka for dinner. It makes sense because it takes away discomfort. And there's, a, I think, massive validating piece in that. And I'm kind of sad that you have to do that because it also, while you're doing that, it creates more suffering because you're not really the person you want to be. So I think it's like normalizing and validating that people do, do the best they, you know, they think that they can do in the moment. It's just not working in the long run. Mm. So what we are aiming for are strategies that works better in the long run and that uh, it's more in line with who we want to be and what we want to do in this world. Wonderful. Wonderful. I love hearing you talk about this. this is <laughs> I, well, this is one of my favorite topics. And it's just, and it's amazing, you know, when you go walk around in the world, you'll see people like we're, we were so used to taking away discomfort. So it's so hard to, to step out of this, uh, either in the role as a client, don't get me wrong, but as you know, when you go about your everyday life and also as in the role as a therapist, it's so hard to step out of this fixing mode. If you want, I can give you a personal story that was quite, it was just, it's a pivoting moment for me as well and how early this starts. And so a few years ago, when my youngest son, he was nine, I went to this, you might have you know, heard this, but not all pea supers have, uh, but I will sometimes mention this at, at workshops. And anyway, I went to this thing in Sweden where I was invited to talk one hour about therapist avoidance. So the stuff that shows up in us as therapists and how we avoid it. And normally I can't bring my kids to work, obviously, because I you know, train all day and or, you know, for other reasons. But in this setting, I could actually bring my children. So I was just speaking for an hour. And, and so my oldest son sat in the back with his iPad and my little son, he noticed there was a stage and there was lighting and microphones and he's a little rock star, right? So he was all over the place. And so it's not unusual for me to get uh, teary and quite, you know, vulnerable as I speak. So I said to the kids, you know, mom will probably come in contact with great feelings. And, and just so you know, it's part of the thing. And well, and they know that because they know me because that's how I roll. But and so I started this, this one hour talk. And, and so I was hoping my son would sit in the back with my oldest son, but he was like, right in front of the stage because he want you know he wanted a piece of the spotlight so he was right there 
And okay, I went about it and I was uh, telling about my own vulnerabilities and I was asking the audience to, to share situations where they have felt very vulnerable and, and very scared. And I was crying and people were sharing. And I remember this one guy who stood up and said that he'd been bullied his whole life and today was the first time he spoke about it and you know we were just sobbing and then suddenly like i noticed victor my youngest he was like getting water picking up tissue he was like doing all these little behaviors and he was like very uncomfortable so he was right in front of the stage and got up on stage you know with tissues with paper you know filling my glass of water he was just really not okay <laughs> and i was like literally with you know my microphone and my spotlight and the room full of people and i was like i'm a mother <laughs> and a speaker and whoa and i kind of ignored it sadly and just kept on doing this and then then victor raised his hand so i kept asking does anyone else want to share does anyone else want to share and victor raised his hand and I was like, I, I remember like covering my microphone and going, mom's working, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, know I, you know, not now. But he was like, yeah, I have something to share as well. And the room just went quiet. Like there was hundreds in the room and Victor was giving a microphone and he's nine by that time. And you could hear a needle drop at that time. And he looked at me and he said, Mom, when you cry, I'm hurt. I'm sad. And I was like, you know, whoa. And he was like, so please stop crying. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't like this. And... Uh, and I said to him, okay, sweetie, so I see you, I see you doing all of us, you know, all of these. Can you tell me a little bit about what is it that you're doing right now? Yeah, I just, I just thought, he said, if I give you some paper or if I give you some water or can I give you a hug? If I do all of that, it might go away. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's so, that's so kind and loving of you, sweetheart. And what? What do you think would happen if you gave me a hug and I took the water and I took the tissues? Well, then you'd feel better, mom. And I was like, and Victor, what do you think would happen to you if I felt better? And he, get, he went, well, then I would feel better. And this was just like, and you can see now this, there's no video here, but you can see like I'm in tears here. And this is just like, he was nine and it was, while it was it's very shameful to talk about because I felt you know just naked on that stage and it was you know my child and 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 it's a beautiful example of how hard it is for us to stand to to cope with our own feelings and to cope with what's happening inside of us when other people feel and I was like oh my god now might be a good time to start teaching our children that they don't have to fix us. Now might be a good time to, to start talking about allowing ourselves to feel and allowing others to feel. So 
one of the things that like, if there was one thing you could take away from my workshop is that give folks permission to feel and to sit with them as they do that. I cannot take away your darkness, but I can sit with you in it. And so I think that is the hard part because sometimes I think we fear that if we don't take away the suffering that we are hurting people or making things worse and it might feel bad, but I think there's a beauty to sit with people inside of that suffering. And that's something I want to teach my kids that they don't have to fix me. They don't even have to fix themselves. We can sit in this soup, if you will, <laughs> together. Thank you so much, Ricky, for, for sharing that with us. It's immensely moving and profound. It is profound, wow. yes. And it speaks to your willingness to, to be that person who's out there living your life in public. Yes. That makes, makes sense. Good sense. And I think through that, through your courage and your action, you give people access to a glimpse of a different way of being as a human being. I'm blown away. Thank you for that kind feedback. And we all have our different ways of being. I have my kind of style, you have your style. And I think what we have in common is that we all want to help and be of good in this world and it can look different. And so what I would encourage people to find, you know, to truly connect with who they want to be and then be that. So I had somebody ask me, how, what are you like privately? And I was like, there's no, like what you see is what you get. Like, like I think that was also what you just touched upon. Like what you see is what you get. And there's a, I think there's a beauty in connecting with who you want to be. And it could look different in different contexts. For me, it's quite the same. I want to bring love to work. I want to bring love to the world. And it might look different from the love that I'm giving my partner, obviously, and my kids. And it's possible. So love and courage is possible, even in places where you think that they wouldn't be possible. My belief is that they, it is. And I'd be happy to walk the talk and uh, inspire you guys to do the same. And I think we've had so many nuggets and gems of amazing <laughs> insights from you. But I wonder if we could distill it down into a takeaway for our P-Supers to go away and reflect on. Maybe put it on a T-shirt. Yes. Whoa. Well, I hope we can get a large T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> 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 so one could be do good shit that's a that's a good one that's a short one well mm. what i think is the most precious gift that i can give your p-supers is to allow yourself to feel to allow others to feel and if you if you work as a therapist i think the most beautiful thing you can do for people is to not try and take away their darkness, but to sit with them in their darkness and allowing difficult stuff to be there. And while it's there, looking at 
who you want to be towards others and towards yourself and be that person in every single moment. And if you come to me, either as a trainee or a client, I will sit with you no matter what darkness you are in. Ricky, I'd like to thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm truly humbled, inspired by your vulnerability and your beauty as a human being. Thank you for living your life out loud and for doing what you do. I'm blown away. And can I also say thank you, Ross, for doing all the stuff that you do. Like you are with these podcasts, you are changing the lives of the P-Supers and you are bringing all these brilliant guests. I'm honored to be a part of your life. P-Supers, that's it. In the bag. I'd like to thank Ricky for being such a beautiful human and my favorite badass. If you like this episode of the podcast, could I invite you to share it with one other person? I'm really keen to spread the behavioral science and skills with more people. Of course, a subscription, rating or review are also very much appreciated. The show notes are at rossmackintosh.co.uk and this includes links to a few different platforms. And before I sign off, our new feature, Welcome to the Gallery. This is where I'll highlight interesting stuff from contextual behavioural science, like resources, research papers, and even opportunities to take part in research. P-Supers, I'd like to present you with Connect P-S-H-E. If you know any primary school teachers, school governors, carers of children, direct them to this website and get them to share it. It's connect-pshe.org. So what's it all about? Connect is a personal, social and health education well-being curriculum for primary school children. It's a fun, easy-to-use weekly program that teaches children key skills to promote emotional well-being and resilience. It's based on a model called DNA-V, which stands for four skills, discoverer, noticer, advisor and values. And this is from Louise Hayes. And research shows that children's emotional resilience improves when they develop and use these four skills. There is training, and there are 250 lesson plans and resources. And you, yes, you, can sign up for a free trial. I'm fortunate enough to work with teachers using the same behavioural science, and this package for children makes it practical, useful, and accessible for them. It's outstanding, groundbreaking work, and I'd like to congratulate the whole team, who will be featured in a future episode. What's that website again, Ross? It's connect pshe.org. I love to hear from you and you can get in touch at peoplesoup.pod at gmail.com. On the Twitter, we are at peoplesouppod. On Instagram, at people.soup. And on Facebook, we are at peoplesouppod. Thanks to Andy Glenn for his spoon magic and to you for listening. Look after yourselves, P-Soupers, and bye for now. We nailed it. Ha! And it's 11.08. Oh my God. We should have our own show. That would be amazing.